This is a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. And you know what else I'm not? I'm not an astronomer. And I don't work for NASA. Uh, last week, as one of my three cool things, which, if you recall, I interspersed them through the show instead of just saving them for the last segment, I gave that a shot. I might do that again. I'm not going to do it tonight, but I might do it again, where I'll intersperse them just to maybe give myself a little more time with each of the cool items instead of trying to hurry them in at the end of the show because somehow I end up just talking too much. <laughs> it's a radio show, well, sort of, a podcast, whatever this is, of me talking about stuff. And um, and sometimes I get, uh, you know, I have so much stuff to talk about. I mean, I got two pages worth of show notes here to, to get through, and sometimes it takes me a little longer than I figured it will, and and uh, and just like like tonight, where I'm going on a little too much about this. So, wh- why did I say I'm not an astronomer and I don't work for NASA? Well, last week when I was talking about the Voyager 2 spacecraft, uh, one of two man-made items that have now gone into interstellar space, I was correct in that they're in interstellar space. I was incorrect when I said that they have left our solar system. They have not. They've left the heliosphere. But the heliosphere is a, a protective bubble that, that, that is made up of uh, particles and uh, magnetic fields that are created by the sun. So it has left that. So uh, there's a there's a website that I'll link to that shows you a little chart, that uh, little GIF that shows you it, uh, the the uh, amount of uh, solar particles that Voyager 2 has encountered and the amount of uh, galactic cosmic rays and the little chart they follow along and they kind of run parallel a little bit for for most of it and then at one point the point at which uh, at, at which the the spacecraft leaves the heliosphere the solar particles drops precipitously while the galactic um, cosmic rays increases it's precipitous. I mean, it just goes way up. So it, right at the same time. It's, just, it's very neat. It's very neat. So technically, is both those spacecraft are still in the solar system. Now, I guess to get out of the solar system, they have to get through what's called the Oort cloud, which is this uh, area that goes around our solar system made up of uh, small objects and such. And the thing about the, the, the Oort cloud is that uh, it's, it's still a ways out there, and it's in itself is pretty damn thick. Uh, it has. It's about a th- from the uh, from the heliosphere when you get at the outside of it to the Oort cloud is some is uh, a thousand astron- uh, astronomical units. A thousand astronomical units, or a thousand AU, and an AU measures out to about 93 million miles, which is the distance from the Earth to the Sun. So it's a thousand times. 93 million, whatever that is. That's, I, I think that's probably a big number. And uh, maybe it was, it, would that be 93 billion? Would that be right? A thousand million is a billion? 
So a thousand nine, yeah, yeah. I think that might be right. So, in order for the um, Voyager two and Voyager one, which I was correct, Voyager two was launched uh, first. It was launched before Voyager one, but Voyager one overtook Voyager two because it went on a different trajectory, had a different mission, and such. Uh, which, by the way, I learned this from the Skeptics Guide of the Universe just a little bit here, that uh, the uh, Voyager 1 spacecraft isn't working doing its science stuff. That that's, it stopped working, but Voyager 2 is still working, and it's still sending us information. And it takes about 16 hours to get here, but it's still sending information. Now, in order to get to the Oort Cloud, the two spacecraft will have to travel about three hundred more years. They've been up there for 41. They've got another 300 years to go before they get to the Oort cloud, before they get to it, and to get through the Oort cloud. Uh, the Oort cloud, I guess, is something like 180,000 AU thick. Uh, no, I'm sorry. 100, not 180,000, just 100,000. I don't know where that 8 came from. must be that I can't read my writing. 100,000 AU thick. So that's 93 million times 100,000. I don't know what that is. <laughs> that's a lot. And in order to get through that and into actual not the solar system, it will take another 30,000 years. Space is really, really big. So I was wrong. The, the two spacecraft are still in the solar system, but they are also considered to be in interstellar space. So, science. It's awesome. What's not awesome is a story that I'm going to relate to you now. Um, this is a lengthy one. I'm going to write, uh, or I'm going to read it as it was written. Uh, and uh, so bear with me when I do my my reading. This was written by a fellow named Steve Locke. He's a professor at the uh, Massachusetts uh, College of Art and Design and uh, he's a black man. He included a picture of himself wearing the outfit he was wearing on the day that this particular incident took place. It was a... Uh, I have two stories to tell you, so I'll tell this one first uh, this is these are his words, and uh, I uh, spotted this on Facebook. But uh, I'll link to it on the show notes. You can get to the show notes by going to dimland.com, click on the blog option, and you can you can find this link to the story. You can read his own words and see the picture of him. Uh, also, um, you can subscribe to Dimland Radio on iTunes. You can follow on Podbean, and you can check wherever you catch your, your podcast. Maybe I'll show up there. Dimland Radio. Come on, let's get some more subscriptions going. Let's go. Come on. Okay, here we go. This is the, uh, the write-up uh, by Professor Steve Locke. Uh, he, he says, On my way to uh, get a burrito before work, I was detained by the police. I noticed the police car in the public lot behind Center Street. As I was walking away from my car, the cruiser followed me. I walked down Center Street and was about to cross over to the burrito place, and the officer got out of the car. Hey, my man, he said. He unsnapped his holster of his gun. Uh, I took my hands out of my pockets. Yes, I said. Where are you coming from? Home. Where's home? Dedham. Uh, how did you get here? I drove. He was next to me now. Two other police cars pulled up. I was standing in front of the bank across the street from the burrito place. I was going to get lunch before I taught my 1.30 class. There were cops all around me. I said nothing. I looked at the officer who addressed me. He was white, stocky, bearded. You weren't over there, were you? Uh, you weren't over there, were you? He pointed down Center Street toward Hyde Square. No, I came from Denham. What's your address? I told him. We had someone matching your description just try to break into a woman's house. A second police officer stood next to me, white, tall, bearded. 
Two police cruisers passed and would continue to circle the block for the 35 minutes I was standing across the street from the burrito place. You fit the description, the officer said. Black male, knit hat, puffy coat. Do you have identification? It's in my wallet. May I reach to, into my pocket and get my wallet? Yeah. I handed him my license. I told him that I did not have my, it did not have my current address. I wa he walked over to a police car. The other cop, taller, wearing sunglasses, told me that I fit the description of someone who broke into a woman's house, right down to the knit cap. Barbara Sullivan, I guess that's a friend of his, made a knit cap for me. She knitted it in pinks and browns and blues and oranges and lime green. No one has a hat like this. It doesn't fit any description that anyone would have. I looked at the second cop. I clasped my hands in front of me to stop them from shaking. For the record, I said to the second cop, I'm not a criminal. I'm a college professor. I was wearing my faculty ID around my neck, clearly visible with my photo. You fit the description, so we just have to check it out, the first cop returned and handed me my license. We have a victim, and we need her to take a look at you to see if you are the person. It was at this moment that I knew that I was probably going to die. I am not being dramatic when I say this. I was not going to get into a police car. I was not going to present myself to some victim. I was not going to let someone tell the cops that I was not guilty when I already told them that I had nothing to do with any robbery. I was not going to let them take me anywhere because... If they did, the chance I was going to be accused of something I did not do rose exponentially. I knew this in my heart. I was not going anywhere with these cops, and I was not going to let some white woman decide whether or not I was a criminal, especially after I told them I was not a criminal. This meant I was going to resist arrest. This meant I was not going to let the police put their hands on me. If you are wondering why people don't go with the police, I hope this explains it for you. Something weird happens when you are on the street being detained by police. People look at you like you are a criminal. The police are detaining you, so clearly you must have done something. Otherwise, they wouldn't have you. No one made eye contact with me. I was hoping that someone I knew would walk down the street or come out of one of the shops or, or get off the 39 bus or come out of J.P. Licks and say to the cops, that's Steve, Steve Locke. What the F are you detaining him for? The cops decided that they would bring the victim to come to view me on the street. I, uh, and They asked me to wait. I said nothing. I stood still. Thanks for cooperating, the second cop said. This is probably nothing, but it's our job, and you do fit the description. 5'11", black male, 160 pounds, but you're a little more than that. Knit hat. Uh, a little more than 160. Thanks for that, I thought. An older white woman walked behind me and up to the second cop. She turned and looked at me and then back at, the, at him. You guys are sure busy today. I noticed a black woman further down the block. She was small and concerned. She was looking, uh, she was watching what was going on. I focused on her red coat. I slowed my breathing. I looked at her from time to time. I thought, don't leave, sister. Please don't leave. The first cop said, where do you teach? Massachusetts College of Art and Design. I tugged at the lanyard I had uh, that had my ID. How long have you been teaching there? Thirteen years. We stood in silence for about ten minutes. An unmarked police car pulled up. The first cop went over to talk to the driver. The driver kept looking at me as though... Uh, looking at me as the cop spoke to him. I looked directly at the driver. He got out of the car. I'm Detective Cardoza. I appreciate your co cooperation. I said nothing. I'm sure these officers told you what's going on. They did. Where are you coming from? My home in Dedham. Uh, how did you get here? I drove. Where's your car? It's in the lot behind Bukhara. Bukhara. I'm not sure how you say that. I pointed up Center Street. Okay, said the detective. We're going to let you go. Do you have uh, a car key you can show me? Yes, I said. I'm reaching. I'm going to reach into my pocket and pull out my uh, pull out my car key. Okay. I showed him the key to my car. 
The police, th uh, the cops thanked me for my cooperation. I nodded and turned to go. Sorry for screwing up your lunch break, the second cop said. I walked back toward my car, away from the burrito place. I saw the woman in red. Thank you, I said to her. Thank you for staying. Are you okay, she said. Her small, beautiful face was lined with concern. Not really. I'm really shook up, and I have to get to work. I knew something was wrong, and I was watching the whole thing. The way they are treating us now, you have to watch them. I'm so grateful you were there. I kept thinking to myself, don't leave, sister. Uh, may I give you a hug? Yes, she said. She held me as I shook. Are you sure you're okay? No, I'm not. I'm going to have a good cry in my car. I have to go teach. Uh, you are at Mass Art. My friend is at Mass Art. What's your name? She told me. I realized we were Facebook friends. I told her this. I'll check in with you on Facebook, she said. I put my head down and walked to my car. My colleague was in our shared office, and she was able to calm me down. I had about 45 minutes until my class began, and I had to teach. I forgot the lesson I had planned. I forgot the schedule. I couldn't think about how to do my job. I thought about the fact my word counted for nothing. They didn't believe that I wasn't a criminal. They had to find out. My word was not enough for them. My ID was not enough for them. My handmade, one-of-a-kind knit hat was an object of suspicion. My Ralph Lauren's quilted blazer was only a puffy coat. That white woman could just walk up to a cop and talk about me like I was an object for regard. I wanted to go back and spit in their faces. The cops were probably deeply satisfied with how they handled the, the interaction, how they didn't escalate the situation, how they were respectful and polite. I'm imagining sitting in the back of a police car while a white woman decides if I'm a criminal or not. If I looked guilty being detained by the cops, imagine how vile I become sitting in the cruiser. I knew I could not let that happen to me. I knew that if it were to happen, I would be dead. I, uh, nothing I am, nothing I do, nothing I have means anything because I fit the description. I had to confess to my students that I was a bit out of it today and I asked them to bear with me. I had to teach. After class, I was supposed to go to the openings for First Friday. I went home. That's a really well-written story. It's very compelling. I have a second story to tell you, but that is going to have to wait because I'm going to head to my first break. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I'm going to be back with a second story. Silver and gold, silver and gold, everyone wishes for silver and gold. How do you measure its worth? Just by the You're listening to Z-Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio's Red-Headed Stepchild. It's Dr. Dim on Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. Hi, this is Pete Townsend of The Who. I just want to say that the United States Air Force is a great place to be, a great place to learn a space-age skill and serve your country too. The Aerospace Team, that's where all the breakthroughs are. See your United States Air Force recruiter. Find out how you too can fly the skies, reach for the moon, and touch the stars in the United States Air Force. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. And 
and welcome back to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, this is my official uh, annual War on Christmas show in which I don't talk about Christmas. <laughs> but I do have Christmas bumpers for you guys. So um, that's where I break with my bumpers all have to come from the 80s. They don't on the Christmas show. Yeah. So I hope you enjoy them. Um, I have a second story to tell you. I hope I can tell it uh, at least at least uh, half as well as this guy told his story. Uh, it was um, the early 1990s. Uh, it happened to me. I work. Uh, I was working for this janitorial service that I currently still work for, and in those days I was working nights. And what I would do is I would uh, I'd clean a building at the beginning of the evening. I'd have to be there by 4 or 4.30 to um, clean a section that needed to be supervised while I cleaned it. I couldn't be in there alone. So my day would start about an hour or a half hour at least uh, before the, the other fellows that worked nights, uh, worked the, uh, you know, the supervisors and fill-in people that... Those were the guys that I would hook up with later, after I finished this building, to fill in if somebody was off, to do carpet cleaning projects, uh, scrub floors, whatever projects needed needed to be done. This particular night, we had just gotten a new customer. It was a car dealership in a little town. Well, it's not little, but it's a town suburb of the you know, the Twin Cities called uh, uh, Invergrove Heights. And uh, it's right in the uh, Met Twin Cities metro area. So um, <clears throat> we had just started there, and I finished my building, and then I hooked up with the guys at the dealership, and there was a crew of, I'd, I'd say, at least four people, probably about five, maybe six, doing the cleaning of this place. Uh, whoever, Whatever service had been cleaning it beforehand did a crap-ass job because this was... Ugh. But we were cleaning carpet and we were doing all kinds of special cleaning to it. So, um, And it was working well into the night. Uh, at about 2 o'clock in the morning, we were somewhat winding down, but I think there was at least another hour's worth of work. I went to the head supervisor and said, hey, you know, can I get out of here? You know, I've been going since about 4 o'clock. And so that was what? Ten hours at that point, I said, "Can I, can I, you know, get out of here?" And he says, "Yeah, go ahead." So I left. I hopped into the car in my car. Well, actually, it wasn't my car. It was my parents' car. My parents were out of town for a week or something, and I was using their car instead of my beat-up old piece of crap. So um, I head out onto the frontage road to get to the freeway. And as I move along on the frontage road, I see in the rearview mirror, I see headlights behind me. A ways back, about a quarter mile, but I saw headlights behind me. And I remember thinking to myself, oh great, it's two in the morning and I still got to have somebody behind me. You'd think I'd have the road to myself. I get to the freeway, I head on, start heading home, and that car is still behind me. Still a ways off. And I'm still grum grumbling because, oh jeez. Why are they? Oh, yeah. has to be a car behind me. Uh, in the time it took for me to glance in the mirror to see if it was still behind me, to grumble for a little bit about it being behind me, and looking back into the mirror, it had closed the gap, and it was right on my ass. I thought, whoa, what the hell? And I thought, well, gee whiz, you know, go around me. I was in the right-hand lane. There was three lanes of traffic heading in the direction I was going. I was in the right-hand lane. It's the middle of the night. There's no traffic. There's no need for you to ride my ass. And I was, I so I started thinking, what do I do? Do I speed up, slow down, tap the brake, change lanes? And while I'm going through my options, I discovered why the car was had come up so close to me. It was a police car. The lights went on. Uh, I'm not sure if the siren went on, but the lights go on. I went, oh, geez. So I pull over. Now, I wasn't speeding. I didn't have a broken taillight or anything. What I immediately assumed was I was a, he saw me coming out of a car dealership, and all the lights are still on in the car dealership, and he sees me drive away. That must have looked a little suspicious. During the course of doing my janitorial work, uh, I'd been pulled over by police three times, and this was one of them. 
he does, you know, the routine. He comes out, uh, gets my driver's license, uh, asks where I was coming from. I told him that uh, told him the dealership I was at. I, I said I was working there with a the crew, doing a cleanup. Uh, showed him my ID badge uh, that that I wear for, for the company. I even showed him my my time card, which is doesn't really help because it's just you just we just write in our hours. It's not like we punch a clock. Um, I gave him the number for the office. I think I gave him the number for the pager for the uh, supervisor. These are the days of the pagers, and you know, just let him know that uh, you know that was on my way home. And so I, I'm not sure if he got all that information in the first stop to the car because he went back and forth a few times. Um, anyway, in the course of his talking to me, several other police vehicles pulled up pulled up. There was at least another two or three behind me, and there was a couple of them that pulled up on the other side of the freeway, you know, do, going in the other, uh, opposite direction. And in and I'll just say police cars, but there was probably some state trooper and that kind of stuff, but I'll just say police. And uh, all right, so this 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 officer that pulled me over finally tells me uh, why he pulled me over. He says um, uh, you and your car match the description of a car and a person that was involved in a robbery at a convenience store over the next town over. And I said, well, wasn't me. I wasn't involved. I was working over at the other thing. I had nothing to do with it. And he says, well, just sit tight. You know, we got to check into this. And I did. And I, you know, waited. And I'm sure there was another cop probably standing on the on the passenger side. Just, you know, just keeping an eye on me, and and I will say that the the demeanor of the officer that was working with me got a little more relaxed as as the as this event went along. He, um, you know, he, at first it's real business like professional that, and then he starts to be just a little more friendly. You know, just a not just, he didn't seem to have much of a, a threat in his voice, but um, so he's he. At one point, he tells me, uh, "I don't think you're involved in this. Yes, I don't. I don't think you're involved in this. But we've got to clear you. We got to make sure. So just sit on. You know, somebody's coming out. So just you know, just bear with us." And another police vehicle pulls up, and uh, he comes comes around. He says, "Okay, Mr. Fitzsimmons, can you get out of your car and come around to the back, please?" And I comply. I do as I'm told. So I get out and I. I stand behind the car, and uh, I can picture a woman uh, coming out of a police car. You know, uh, she's wearing a convenience store smock or something that, and uh, she's a little older. And, and and another officer brings her out of that car, and they come up and they stand in front of the uh, the police vehicle that's behind me. And the head, I'm in the headlights, and but I can see her. And she looks and and she says, "Oh no, this it wasn't this gentleman." So they thanked her, they put her back in the car, they take off, the officer that had been working with me the whole time gives me back my stuff, and he says, uh, you know, I didn't think you were involved, but, you know, we got to be sure, and, uh, you know, thanks for your patience, I'm sorry about, you know, sorry about the delay and everything, and I told him, well, it's okay, as long as it, you know, it's okay, and he says, well, here you go, and, uh, you know, have a good night, and thanks again for your cooperation, that kind of stuff. And I got in the car. And I drove home. Now, uh, I was confident the whole time that I hadn't done anything, and I and that they would be able to, at the very least, call and page the supervisor, and he could call back. Or, I, you know, if it if it came to it, I said, "Well, let's drive back. You know, take me back over to the." To the dealership, and I'll introduce you to my boss, and he'll tell me tell you that I'd been working there for the last how many hours? I don't know. Um, it never occurred to me, at least not overtly, that they might think that I was involved in some in that robbery that I might have been it. And I think there was probably just a little fear, a little worry in my mind that that woman might have said. Yeah, I think he was the one. Because that could have happened. And then what? Then what do we got? But, but even then, I was still confident that, well, I know I didn't do anything. I wasn't involved. I'm not a criminal. So what would have happened from there? I don't know. Would I have a res a, a resisted? 
would I have, or would I have played this out and said, <laughs> you know, I want a lawyer, <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But the way it happened was like like that. Now, doesn't I mean, when I read Professor Locke's story, it was almost point for point, beat for beat, this this the same thing that happened to me. Now there are differences, of course. One of them being, uh, I was pulled over in the middle of the night on a freeway. So um, there may have been, you know, there may have been a few cars that came by, but it was the middle of the night. We, I didn't. It wasn't on a city street during lunch hour with people bustling around and lots of you know cars going by and people walking by and seeing this. I didn't have some white woman walk up and and say to the cop, "Boy, you sure are busy today." I didn't have that thing happen. Uh, you know, so it wasn't that. And then I, but you know, when you think about it, if Professor Locke was in that situation, middle of the night, there's no witnesses, or hardly any. I mean, could it have been a Rodney King experience for him? Would it have been? Would it have been different? Who knows? So, you know, so that, that's a difference of the situation there. The way the cops treated me. The way the cop, you know, the officer treated me, the way the two officers that talked to him treated him, and and the detective, they were all, it's very similar, professional, polite. You know, it's, it's so almost point for point, everything lines up. There, of course, is another difference. I'm white, and so I, I before I, I dig more into the differences, I, I do have a couple quibbles with his story. Not that I don't believe it. I absolutely believe the story. I have no reason to think this isn't true. Uh, I, it's, that's not what I mean. But there's a couple of things that he said in here that I thought, um, I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, he talks about his knit cap. About how how unique it is, but he's they never, the, you know, the officers that tell him he says you know your blackmail knit hat puffy coat was one of them. This is what he quoted one of the officers as saying. Uh, the other one said you know uh, says um, five foot eleven black male hundred hundred uh, and sixty pounds. Uh, you're a little more than that. Knit hat. Says knit hat. They, there's nothing about a super unique, unusual. It's just a, a knit hat. There are knit hats in the world. Maybe not exactly like his, but he's a black man wearing a knit hat, about the same height, a little heavier than the other guy. And and that second officer that that said that last little bit, five eleven, black male, you know that thing. He's before he said that he said this is probably nothing. He said that to him. My officer said, I don't think you're involved in this, but we got to be sure. But it's our job, this is what the second officer said to him, but it's our job uh, and you fit the description. Um, the other thing, he says, I thought that the fact, uh, I thought about the fact my word counted for nothing. They didn't believe I wasn't a criminal. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't believe I was a criminal either. I I told them I wasn't involved. They had to find out. So did my officers. My word was not enough for them. Neither was mine. My ID was not enough for them. Neither was mine. His homemade, one-of-a-kind knit hat was an object of suspicion. Well, it's a knit hat. The guy was the other guy was wearing a knit hat. They never said multicolored knit hat or solid colored knit hat. They just said knit hat. But his next line though, he does have a really good point here. When you see the picture of him at the site, you'll understand. He says, My well Ralph Lauren quilted blazer was only a puffy coat. Now, how that fits a puffy coat, I don't I don't see it. I was like, well, I don't see it. Um, he also assumes in here that the person whose, whose house was broken into was white. 
I do not remember anybody saying that she was white. Uh, he assumes that. Um, maybe it's because it's the neighborhood that, you know, maybe it's that. So those those are some quibbles. Um, you know, he said, nothing I am, nothing I do, nothing I have means anything because I fit the description. Same with me. And it, so, so on my part where I'll, I'll seem most like an asshole, <laughs> and I'm trying not to because I've, this, this, what this guy wrote really moved me, and I'll, I'll get to it. But at the point where I'm going to seem most like an asshole is that, you know, what did you expect the police to do? Oh, you weren't involved? Okay, on with your, uh, on you go. It, no, it's not, if you match a description, I matched a description, I said I didn't do it. I was working. He was detained for 35 minutes. My thing went 30 minutes, 45 minutes. I don't know. It. it yeah. So. I, so much stuff is similar, but I don't. I. I. I don't know what he would. Why he would expect that? Look, I. You know. You know, a professor at a college could try to break in a house. It, it's. You know. It's. It's not exclusive to just people who are, uh, you know, not to other professions or something, or people who don't have professions other than being a burglar. It's, you know, it's possible. You match the description. They they they're talking to you about it. And then the moment where he says that he's sure that they they thought that they did a good job and that they were. That, you know they were probably deeply satisfied with how they handled the interaction, how they didn't escalate the situation, how they were respectful and polite. Well, they were, and they didn't. And yeah, that was a good. I, I can see the police standpoint there, saying this was a good interaction. This guy wasn't involved. We didn't, you know. You know, we you know we we couldn't just believe him. We had to find out. But once we found out, you're on your way. Sorry, man. Sorry to ruin your lunch. We're sorry. He was he was apologized to. So, okay, those are the quibbles. I hope you're not thinking I'm an asshole, because there's the other big difference that's in this one. I'll get to that, which I think you already know it. But I'll get to that when I come back to my from my next break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I'll be back after this break. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. Since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Shows no signs of stopping. I brought some corn for popping. Lights have turned way down. If this station's not your cup of tea, then drink coffee! 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 Drink coffee! 100% news. 100% information. 100% guarantee. Thought you might say that. <laughs> You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Valtor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Z-Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and, of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Well, I'll be hornswoggled. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. You don't say. Oh, what? You think you went off to college or something? On ZTalkRadio.com. 
That's the most amazing thing since Grandma survived the outhouse incident. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here in the ZTalk Radio Network at uh, ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfit Simmons. This is my annual War on Christmas show in which I don't talk about Christmas. Uh, and I do talk about stuff. Boy, this is, you know, this is kind of heavy, so uh, hopefully I'm not coming across as an unfeeling asshole because I do know that there is another big difference between these two incidents. They are so similar in so many ways. Uh, they really, they are. But, as I said, I'm white. This guy was black. While he was going through his detainment, he was thinking he might die. That never occurred to me. I never thought such a thing. As I said, I was confident that the police were going to realize that, yeah, this guy wasn't involved. This is, you know, I, I was confident. But he wasn't so much. He was, you know, and I don't know if... You remember a couple years ago now, there was a young man named uh, Philando Castile. Castile. He was uh, shot by a police officer over in part of St. Paul, and, um, you know, he was shot from being, he was pulled over, um, and the officer was talking to him, and Philando told the officer that I, I have a permit to carry a weapon, I have a weapon on me, I'm going to show you my permit, and he started reaching for it, the cop panicked and shot him. Uh, I can't remember what the upshot of all that is, I don't think the cop's a cop anymore, I'm not sure he got any kind of criminal stuff. I, 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 I don't know at this point. But Philando Castile died. And it was, it was, it was really, it's, it, it fell on the heels of other incidents where some African-American young man was killed by police officers in a, maybe a routine stop or something that's not terribly, you know, terribly important as far as crime goes. And it was a, a moment where, at least for me, when I was reading about Mr. Castile and reading about how he had been pulled over by police well over 20 times in a pretty short period of time. And he, I'm not sure if the, how close an age from when I had this incident with the police to when Philando Castile was pulled over that time. I'm not sure how close we were in age, but we weren't too far off, I don't think. And you know, I, when I read about the how many times pulled over, you know, we've heard about this driving while being black. We've heard about that. Um, and, but you know, I think for a long time, white America was able to say, well, that hasn't been my experience with the police. Oh, I'm sure there were plenty of white folks out there would say, yeah, the cops are right terrible people and they harass and do bad, bad, bad things. But I think most white people just, well, that's, that hasn't been my experience. Oh, surely not. You know, living in denial, that kind of thing. But now we're seeing like video coming out, the Rodney King thing that happened a few years ago. Uh, well, several years ago now. 20-something years ago? Jeez, 25? My goodness. But it's you know, with this, with videos everywhere, you know, video cameras and people, they're capturing these images, they're capturing this evidence that we hadn't seen before. We, being the majority of America, hadn't seen before. We'd heard stuff, but we thought, but now it's hard to deny it. Now we're looking at it. Now we're seeing the stuff ourselves, and we're saying, wait a minute, what the hell's going on here? So, I, I'm, I'm not sure how much of uh, media hype played into 
Professor Locke's experience? Uh, probably not much. Probably it was, he's a black man living in America who has, you know, he didn't say how much he's been, you know, dealt with police. He didn't say, but it, he, he eloquently voiced a mindset that I hadn't experienced with myself. He, gives, he gave us an insight. This is what he thought. This is what he felt. This was this this might have been his last day on earth. If they wanted to put him in the car, he wasn't going to do it because he he wasn't he he, he thought the, the the closer to the you know closer to headquarters he got, the higher his chance was that he'd end up dead. Now maybe that's not the right way to think. Maybe that's not the right tact. To, to resist, it maybe it's better just say, "Okay, uh, I'll go down with you," but I want a lawyer. You know, you're told uh, there's something. My wife was hearing about a lot. There's lots of true true crime podcasts and that, and there's stuff on the internets and that. Where uh, there's a, there's one thing. Oh man, I should make a note of it, so I'll I'll, I'll put it up uh, on the show notes. Where there's a lawyer talking that says, "Do not talk to the police. <laughs> Never talk to the police." If they, they, they want to question you about something, don't talk to them. Nope, talk to my lawyer. Whether you did anything or not, just, no, I'm not talking. Because it'll bite you in the ass every, you know, every time. And he gives, explain, explains why. It's, it's very interesting. But anyway, it's, it's, it showed me something. It's like how different this is. Because the final difference in this is, he was shaken to his core from this. He walked away, just as I did, and he went to work, and he had a co-worker help calm him down, but he was still shaken. He tried to teach his class, but he had to say, bear with me, guys. He had a cry in his car. He just, you know, this, this really got to him in a deep way. This the, the 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 aftermath of this. When it was over for me, and I was driving away, what was going through my mind? Boy, have I got a story for the guys. All right, how much time have I got? Wow, almost an entire show on one topic. Uh, I gotta say, and boy, this is gonna. Try not to get whiplash here. I gotta say, the Holmes and Watson movie that's coming out with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley looks like a steaming pile of shit. <laughs> Holy crap, does it look awful. Facebook, my Facebook page anyway, has been pushing and pushing and pushing this movie. I mean, every day I open up Facebook and right toward the top of my page as I start to scroll down, there is a video clip from this movie. It's, you know, they're... 10 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute. The, this, the studio is pushing and pushing and pushing this movie. And if the stuff they put in their clips are the best jokes, are the best bits, this thing is going to be a disaster. It, it, unless they're doing some real weird advertising, using some weird psychology, let's show all our crappiest moments and keep all the good ones in the movie. That'll get people to come in. That's not exactly how it works. They want to entice you with their best jokes. And if that's the best stuff, you know, they it's 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 the reason it's being pushed, at least I think, the reason it's being pushed so hard is that they want to get that opening weekend. They want to get the the suckers in there for the opening weekend and so they can make back their money or get a big opening weekend because they know that as soon as that weekend's over, and the people who want to see it will come out and say, that was a piece of shit. <laughs> and it's going to tank. It is going to bomb. I, I could be wrong. Art is subjective. And comedy is possibly the most subjective of, subjective of any art form. Because everybody has a different sense of humor. I saw lots of people saying, because I mentioned this on Facebook, I saw lots of people saying that they can't stand Will Ferrell. They don't think he's funny. Well, I think he can be funny. He's one of those fearless... 
comedic actors. He will put himself out there, and he'll take that chance. And I've seen him in stuff, and I thought he's funny. I thought he was funny on Saturday Night Live. Need more cowbell, you know. And but this, and the, I guess the two of them have been in movies together, and they've been funny before. But this one looks like they didn't have much of a script, and they said, well, you guys have been funny before. Be funny again. And so they used the one joke idea, which is it's anachronistic humor. They, they, you know, they have the, the, the two of them taking a selfie with one of those old cameras on a tripod with Queen, Queen Vic, and then they knock her over the head with the damn thing. They, they have Holmes trying on all kinds of hats. Because he wants to be known for some hat thing, you know, he's known for the deerstalker cap. And and at some point he puts on a red fez, and although fezes are cool, this red fez has in white lettering "Make um, Make England Great Again." Oh, see, see, that's funny. See, because "Make America Great Again," see, that's funny. See, no, no, that's not funny. That's not funny. None of the stuff they show in there has been funny. None of it. It's just, there's not even remotely funny. I don't even see why somebody thought it was funny. And here's the thing. I thought there was a, this was had one of the Cohen brothers working on it. It does have a Cohen working on it. It's a, a fellow named Eaton Cohen. I think that's how you say his name. But it's, it's not C-O-E-N. It's C-O-H-E-N. He's not related. So I was wrong there when I thought, because, boy, I was disappointed if this was a Cohen brothers thing. It looks terrible. I could be wrong. It could be a hit. But, oh, man, it looks terrible. What's the time? Where's my clock? Where's my... Where's my... What tree do I look at here? Uh, okay, three cool things. Let's go through the three cool things. Uh, the first cool thing I want to talk about is the, uh, the Christmas Comet uh, made a, a near pass by the Earth. It's closest pass of the Earth in centuries. It hasn't been by here in about 70 years. It's like it's, it's like Halley's Comet that comes around every 76 years or so. And it uh, this this time round was its closest it's been to Earth in centuries and will be for centuries more. And it's and that's cool. And uh, if you know you look up in the night sky, and of course it's got to be clear and you need the proper equipment, you would be able to see it. It would have this greenish hue to it. There's some reason for that which I don't know, but I'll link to stuff about it so you can find it. And and that's, I mean, that's pretty damn cool that it comes by. Um, <clears throat> don't tell my wife this, okay? The other morning, she came home from dropping Hayden off at school. And I'm usually taking a little snooze on the couch before I go to work. And she wakes me up and says, come on, come on outside, i got to show you something. And she points up in the sky. Now this is af this is after 7:30 in the morning. The sun is coming up pretty well, and up there in the sky is a bright white object. In this up there, and she points at that and she says, "That's a meteor." It's a, a, a meteor? And oh no 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 not a meteor. Uh, uh, it's a comet. That's a comet. That's that that's that Christmas comet. She's pointing at it. I said, "Wow, really? That's cool." You know, at that point I was that's cool. And uh, I went to look up more about the Christmas Comet because I, I wanted to include it in one of the three cool things. And I found out that what we were looking at was Venus. <laughs> Don't tell her. Which was cool in itself. But Venus has been very visible these last few mornings because of, you know, because of movement in space and that. But that's what we saw. We, you would not be able to see the Christmas comet at that time in the morning. It's too much light in the sky. You'd need dark sky and you'd need equipment to be able to see it. But don't tell her, okay? Uh, the cool second cool thing. Uh, Penny Marshall died. That in itself is not cool. <laughs> so don't get me wrong. I don't think that's cool. But there was um, there was a, uh, a New York Daily News piece about her dying, and I was reading it. And they said that earlier in her career, she was in an ad uh, in an ad where she was the before girl uh, for a beauty product ad, and Farrah Fawcett was the after girl. And I read that and I said, "Really? I mean, I know that would have been the '70s, and you know, 
advertising ethics were they that bad? Did they did they really think people wouldn't be able to tell the difference between Penny Marshall and Farrah Fawcett? Now, no offense to Penny Marshall, but she's no Farrah Fawcett, and people would not be able to see through that. That's a bef- that before person is a different person from the after person. Really, did they really think that? I've got to see this. I've got to look this up. So I started searching for it, and this tells you the state of journalism at times. Now, I don't know if the New York Daily News is a really staunch, great journalistic organization, but what I found on the Internet was not a photograph of a before and after. What I found was a TV commercial in which Penny Marshall and Farrah Fawcett appear, and they're playing roommates. And Penny is sitting at a at a table in front of a mirror in the in a huge bathroom, and in the background, in an old-fashioned shower with a curtain, Farrah pops her head out and says, "Do you have any shampoo?" And uh, Penny brings over some Head and Shoulders, and then they talk about the wonderfulness of Head and Shoulders and all that. And so the ad, you know, and Farrah's playing sort of the ditzy blonde, but that's really good looking, and and and. Penny Marshall's playing the the smarter, more wise, and you know plainer woman. You know between the two, and that's what the ad is. It's not a before and after. It's an ad for the two. These are roommates using Head and Shoulder shampoo and having wonderful hair. And Farrah Fawcett, uh, Farrah, it'll be ten years next June since she died. And that's not cool. But the ad is cool. And I'll link to it and you'll watch it. It'll be cool. And number three of the three cool things is um, okay, there was first there was Drawloween, then there was Crystal Vember, and now it's the five golden draw rings for Christmas. Uh, some Facebook guy, Facebook friend just popped up a message saying, Jim, you wanna take place you take part of you know, the five golden draw rings for Christmas, uh, if you do, uh, today's day one, it's uh, Draw Santa. So I said, I'm game. So for five days, I'll be doing a little drawing challenge thing. So if you're a Facebook friend of mine, look for the images. They'll come up each day. Uh, today was uh, uh, a Christmas tree, and uh, tomorrow is, well, I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to just look on the Facebook page. Anyway, it's just five drawings, but it's cool. I hope that you've had at least three cool things happen for you uh, this past week. Uh, and, and before, and uh, there she is. No, she's not. There she is. Come on. Say something. Talk to me. Good night, there she is. Adolfo. <laughs> Good night, Frau Blucher. Before I go, i got to remember to say Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate Christmas. Happy Holidays to everybody else. Happy New Year. Uh, I will probably, yeah, I'll do a show before the New Year. So you've been listening to Dimland Radio. Be skeptical. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Let's keep this war on Christmas going. Uh, I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim, reminding you to sleep with the lights off. Merry Christmas. You can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option. And you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network.
And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for, for tuning us in. Well, I'm going to hell. Behave yourselves. Because Santa can still look into his magic snowball and see just what you're up to. And now that you know all about him, you can be darn sure that comes snow or high water, Santa Claus is coming to town. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better